Our emails give the action that's happening in the moment. And the best way for us to resist is to all join together and be united in our action because then we have the loudest voice. So the email is very simple. It tells you exactly what to do that week in order for us to resist the battle that is in front of us at that moment. That was the voice of Melanie Whaley of Indivisible, The Fight Is On. Full interview coming up here on Spotlight 19. And you can find them at IndivisibleTheFightIsOn.com. Welcome back. This is Spotlight 19, the podcast that tracks all things New York Congressional District 19. This is Saja Tracy. And this is Justin Tracy. Happy Black History Month. I hope everyone is staying on top of all of the amazing Black History Month events that are going on in Kingston here in Ulster County and has a chance to check them out. So far, there's been no acknowledgement of Black History Month from John Fazzo, and this is our congressman who loves remembering National Milk Day and all kinds of other days that don't have as much importance, but we haven't heard from him on Black History Month yet. So that just remains to be seen. We have so much to get to on the show, including an interview with Melanie Whaley and Scott Duquette of Indivisible, The Fight Is On, an activist group out of Dutchess County. We'll be recounting some of John Fazzo's January votes and an update on the New York 19 candidates and the return of Five Fast Fazzo Facts, which has been requested by popular demand. So on to the votes. In the last episode, we spoke briefly about the government shutdown and how FASO didn't support it and kind of wrote off the concerns about DACA recipients. And since that episode, he has very closely towed the line of the Republican National Party, calling out Democrats and calling them misguided in their attempt to protect these dreamers. And we have to remember, these are individuals who are only here illegally because they were brought here as children. And they're working now. They're contributing to society. You hear from, there's a number of them who are in medical school and going to be treating us uh, for our conditions. And actually, one of the first dreamers was sworn in as an attorney in New Jersey. So it was really the head of John Fazzo's party who's put these amazing individuals in this awful situation where they may have to go back to a country that they've never been to come February 8th. I mean, they also don't have to be amazing. You know, they can just be Americans. So this week was actually the week that nine protesters, they're called the Fazo Nine, entered their pleas of not guilty in Kinderhook Village Court. And these were nine protesters who were demanding FASO support a Clean Dream Act. And they were arrested um, from FASO's office back in December before FASO would support a Clean Dream Act. 
So FASO hasn't issued a statement about the pleas or any of these nine individuals. It's unfortunate because at the time of our last episode, we were talking a lot about DACA and the shutdown, but that has all kind of unfortunately been erased since there's been this uproar over the release of this partisan memo by Representative Devin Nunes, who is a member of the House Intelligence Committee on how the investigation into the president's ties to Russia is completely based on illegal evidence collected by the FBI. Right. And John Faso actually supported the release of the memo and only supports the release of the Democratic memo to Congress and not the public. And then he did vote in favor of uh, continuing to allow the exact type of warrantless searches conducted by the FBI that Nunes and the GOP were crying about back in January. That's right. So back on January 11th, Faso voted to not curtail the FBI's ability to read messages obtained as a result of warrantless searches. And these are mainly electronic wiretaps that the FBI is conducting or the NSA is participating in. And what actually happens is the FBI gets a FISA court order. That's a special court that's used to obtain these type of surveillance requests, and they're doing so to monitor international communications. And that's actually exactly what the Nunes memo is complaining about, uh, that the FBI was doing this. But then all of these Republicans actually voted in favor of a law that's allowing them to continue that. Right. You can't have it both ways. So, uh, for example, you know, let's say I'm communicating with my friends in you, in the UK on, on Skype. Exactly. If Justin's talking to friends on Skype from our place here in New York 19 and those friends are being surveilled for some reason by the FBI, the FBI can then go and read anything Justin sends or listen in to any conversations, even though the Fourth Amendment protects him from this type of warrantless intrusion. It's pretty ironic about the Republican uproar in the memo when pretty much all of them voted to allow the FBI to keep doing exactly what they are complaining about. Faso also voted for a motion to put off bringing articles of impeachment against Trump. But no surprises there since he felt that the State of the Union was a unifying address when it was really one filled with racial under and overtones. Right. So John Faso was fully supportive of the president's state of the union. Uh, I don't, I didn't actually watch it because I couldn't stomach it. But, um, you know, John Faso was fully supportive and issued a statement on it and thought it was thought it was great. And it shows really that he is not going to be a moderating force on the president anytime soon. But I think we already had kind of come to that conclusion. So we're actually recording this on Tuesday, February 6th. And FASO voted today in favor of a bill that allows the FDA to delay a rule that was put into place back in 2014 for restaurants and retail food establishments to disclose nutritional information to people. 
and this was a rule that applied to big businesses. Restaurants and other establishments that got half their revenue from food sales and just requires them and just requires them to put on line, for example, calories in, in menu items, servings and calories in each serving. Uh, given that we're facing an obesity crisis, I don't understand how this was even a bill that needed to be introduced. I mean, Republicans spun it the same way they always do, that it's hurting small businesses. But if you really read the rule, it didn't particularly apply to small businesses and it is not very burdensome. You could just post the calorie information online. You didn't have to change your signage. It was just a way for people to know what kind of food they were eating at the establishments they were going to. Uh, the National Association for Convenience Stores was in favor of this bill, and I'm sure a number of other lobbying groups that just don't want to disclose this information were pushing for it. Uh, you know, knowing that calorie counts being posted could potentially depress sales, and that's where these groups care most. Uh, that's what these groups care most about, uh, their bottom lines. Moving on from Fazo's votes right now, just an update on the New York 19 election. On Super Bowl Sunday, the Woodstock Democratic Committee hosted the first debate among our six Democratic candidates. They have had many congressional forums and Q&As at this point, but not any true debates. And the turnout on Super Bowl Sunday, it was actually snowing here in New York 19, and the crowd was actually out the door. It was pretty inspiring to see that kind of energy and enthusiasm for the political process. Another important piece of news for the upcoming election is that three of our Democratic candidates have matched or out-fundraised John Faso. But the National Republican Congressional Committee is far outraising the Democratic Congressional Committee, and the NRCC will be wholeheartedly funding FASO, along with the deep pockets of the Mercer and the Koch families. We do know Fazo's war chest for this upcoming campaign is going to be millions of dollars. So we want to make sure voters are as knowledgeable as possible about Fazo. So we're actually bringing back our old segment, Five Fast Fazo Facts. Five Fast Fazo Facts. Fazo Fact number one. In 1986, Fazo was elected to the state assembly. And he chose to live in his assembly district because he knew a seat would be opening up. So keep in mind any time someone attacks any of the six candidates for moving to New York 19 to run. Fazo fact number two. In 1987, Fazo called Roe v. Wade, which upheld a woman's constitutional right to choose. He called it a black mark on the country's history. Fact number three. Also during his time in the Assembly, Fazo supported allowing legislative aides to do campaign work on state time. Fazo Fact 4. In 1990, Fazo supported Pierre Rinfray, who was a Manhattan millionaire running against Democratic Mario Cuomo for governor, who was pretty similar to another New York millionaire that has been in the news lately. I don't think of who you're talking about. Fact number 5. 
And speaking of Renfrey, he actually promised to release eight years of his tax returns and only released one year. And Fazo was fine with this, stating, quote, it would be too burdensome for him to do so. Really? To our interview segment here on Spotlight 19. Today we are here with Melanie Whaley and Scott Duquette of Indivisible The Fight Is On, which is based out of Dutchess County here in New York 19. Thank you so much for being here. Well, we want to thank you for inviting us, and you both do such wonderful work that we are honored to be invited. It's great to have people from across the river here. We have guests from across the aisle, but it's wonderful to see what all our area activists are up to. So let's get right into it. Tell us a little bit more about the origins of Indivisible The Fight Is On. So Indivisible The Fight Is On, our first meeting was held in December in a a small room in Millbrook. And then the next meeting was held at the McCabe's house in Unionvale. And on February the 4th, three or four of us um, organized a meeting in the Millbrook area to start the conversation about activism and resistance against Trump's administration. And 200 people showed up at that meeting. Wow. Yeah. And it was amazing. I mean, fortunately for us, we got a sense of the the large group that was about to descend upon us. So we set up an extra TV room and another room so everyone would be able to see the speakers. And we had Zephyr teach out as our keynote speaker for the event. And it was pretty exciting for us. But it was also, at the end of it, it was, woof, but it, we it, need to do something here. And it was born out of the... Trump inauguration, right? Like, yes. I mean, right after the the election, you know, there was just this palpable, you know, this feeling that we needed to get activated. And it was very organic, right? There wasn't, it's not like this organization was, had already been, had already started. It was, it, it was born out of that moment. Exactly. And there were some activists that had experience and there were a lot of people that joined in that had never been an activist in their lives so we had sort of a mixture of of people coming together and we we hear that so much on the show we've had a few activists on where it's their first time ever doing uh attending protests or organizing so it's it's just something that i think uh you know is going on across the district that's sort of how we began, but also the organization Indivisible was, was just beginning. We decided to attach ourselves to them because many of us had experienced OFA, Obama for America, in the two campaigns. And so we were used to working with another organization to help us um, you know, with resources and actions. So it seemed like a natural fit with Indivisible. And we started with them at such an early stage that when I sent uh, Ezra Levin um, an email, I actually got a response from him. That's how <laughs> early it was. That, and know. Ezra Levin is kind of the head of the national Indivisible group. Is that correct? Yeah, he, he was one of two other um, people that founded Indivisible Guide. And uh, just for those of our listeners that may not know, Indivisible is kind of this grassroots 
movement around the country that almost takes a page out of the playbook of Tea Party activists to to teach people and encourage people to resist what's going on in the administration. Obviously, the goals are completely different than the Tea Party. How did you actually choose the name The Fight Is On? Okay, so in retrospect, maybe not such a great idea. First of all, (laughs) because it's a really long name, Indivisible, The Fight Is On. So that's one reason why we've kind of shortened it to ITFIO. Um, And some people... um, are, were concerned about the word fight being in the title, but it was just a gut thing at the time, um, and it stuck. I mean, I, I'm, you know, I'm, we were probably throwing out names, and within the first five minutes, maybe I said, indivisible, the fight is on, and everyone went, yeah, and, you know, and so that's kind of how it got off the ground, and we weren't and, and I love that anecdote about the name because people do ask about the name and like it's long and they're sensitive to the word fight, etc. But what I like about the anecdote, it points to if you're an activist, just get started. You know, you don't need to vet every decision you make with a steering committee of, you know, 30 people over six months. If you see an opportunity where you want to participate and get active, you know, do it. Even if the name is funky. Well, it's a it's a great name because it is going to definitely be a fight to get out voters to the polls here in New York 19. We're such a vast district. So tell me a little bit about the membership of ITFIO and how it may have been evolving over time. ITFIO actually started with the concept of being an umbrella group. So when you talk about our memberships, uh, we have, for example, an email, an e-blast, we call it, that goes out, and we have 1,775 people on that e-blast. So one could say that we have that many people, but we don't. We are an umbrella group, and ITFIO has a steering committee, but the boots on the ground are all the wonderful organizations that we work with. The Dutchess County Democratic Committee, we work with Hudson Valley Strong, uh, Pauling Indivisible, all the different individual indivisible groups that may have formed in each individual town. Moms Demand Action, you know, different activist groups. Parenthood. So ITFIO is a hub where all of these different individual activist groups can come together and ITFIO provides tools and assistance to help coordinate across Dutchess County. So the way we've evolved is by actually starting to connect all of the organizations in Dutchess County. And in that sense, we're growing. Uh, Understood. So in your events, you guys also put on events from time to time. I know that that because we've attended them and that's how we actually met. Um, And when you attend the events, you see all these people who are receiving the e-blasts and are active with all these grassroots groups. Over time, have you seen any fatigue in these members or fatigue among activists? Since now we're over a year into this administration, I know we feel a little bit tired of it from time to time. And I notice in your emails, you always give a little tip on how to combat that. So what's what has your experience been? So Melanie has this uh, saying that she uses at a lot of events, and it's also included in the e-blast, and it says, if you get tired, learn to rest, not to quit. And 
I think that that is easier when you are friends with the people that you're working with. Because we take, we're like a family. We all take care of each other when sometimes you've made commitments to an activist organization, but something else has come up and we're all there to catch the, the balls that are up in the air for each other. You know, I, I think that caring about each other in an activist organization and realizing that you are a community is one of the ways that you can combat fatigue. And we had fatigue uh, last summer, you know, the summertime, all of a sudden it was sunny and people wanted to get out. And like I said earlier, on February 4th, we had 200 people show up at that meeting. Well, as time passes, people start to sort of pull away and they do other things. And all of the organizations have the same problem. How do you pull them back in? One of the ways that we try and pull people in and keep them engaged is that we hold socials. So in 2017, we held a social almost every month, um, and we would have speakers come in to help inform, educate, um, um, entertain um, the people that have come, and they have an opportunity to network with each other, to meet different activist organizations in their community to meet the candidates. So this is another way that we try and help keep people engaged. It's not all about knocking on doors and doing the kind of hard work. It's also um, about being a part of a community. And one of our uh, colleagues on the steering committee, Sam Moyer, he, he also says that uh, the best workout is the one that you will do. And I think about that, that, you know, for some people, canvassing is not a good fit for activism. Maybe they don't like, you know, they're nervous about going door to door or whatnot. But there's, like Melanie said, there's so many ways that somebody can participate that we're just trying to encourage that kind of commitment, just like working out. You need to have a, a physical life your whole life. We're hoping to promote this idea that, that you can participate in government throughout your whole life that kind of evergreen commitment. And also people need to take breaks. Yeah. You need to go on vacation. You need to be able to say it's okay to walk away for seven days or 10 days. You just have to remember to come back. It's all too important not to come back. But yes, fatigue is a problem <laughs> and we all battle it. Sure. And we definitely took a long break, but we're back because the primary is actually coming up uh, in June here in New York 19. So I wanted to talk to you a little bit about how ITFIO and all these great grassroots groups were able to turn out the vote for November 2017 local election with great results. We had two amazing women win their elections, Robin Lois and Judge Christy Acker. But there were a lot of other candidates who came forward. And unfortunately, despite the fact that there was this amazing voter turnout for an off-year election, they weren't able to win. What are some of your thoughts reflecting back on the November 2017 election and how those feelings and what happened there might affect the upcoming elections? 2017 was a successful year for the Democrats, especially in Dutchess County, for sure. Um, we picked up seats in the county legislature. There were towns in Dutchess County that hadn't had a Democrat on the ballot or in an elected official role since 1998 that finally took back a seat on, let's say, a town board. So we did make progress. One of the things I'm most proud of in Dutchess County is that Indivisible and ITFIO were able to help encourage very local participation 
in townships across Dutchess County. So now we have hubs of activism in Clinton, New York, and in, um, you know, Ryan Beck was already strong, but in Clinton, New York, in, uh, in Northeast, in Dover, in Pauling, places where maybe there wasn't a lot of activity, that now we have committees that are participating and communities that are forming there. So that's that's one of the ways I think we'll be successful in the future to continue the momentum from 2017. Right. Not every candidate who runs the first time wins the first time. So mm-hmm. the the fact that we had more candidates to begin with was a bonus. And also, we are already getting together the different activist groups in Dutchess County and the Democratic Committee and discussing what went right, what went wrong, and trying to improve in 2018. So that was another benefit that came out of 2017 is that we learned a lot. But the other thing is a lot of Democrats came out in 2017, but more Republicans also came out than usual, which is strange because you never heard them making the call for coming out to vote, but they just show up. <laughs> so, you know, we I thought we made pretty good progress in 2017, but it's just the first step and it's a long, you know, there are many steps to come in order to take over and Dutchess I think, County. Yeah, and I think we're working better with all these other organizations than ever before. I think that there's real partnership between all these different activist organizations that I feel really confident in taking the learnings from 2017 and applying them to 2018, even like really in the weeds strategy stuff about how we canvas has improved. Great. So what is next for ITFIO? We have a very busy year coming up here. So tell us a little bit more about what you guys have, you know, coming down the pipeline. Sure. So one of our one of our major campaigns right now is this local mobilization network that we've put together, which is going through town by town and sharing best practices across Dutchess County, whether that's a toolkit of like, here's a door hanger template that you can use so that these local towns where maybe they don't have a graphic designer can take that template and apply that tool towards their local recruitment or the idea of certain socials and just supporting, you know, if if Clinton is having a social, Hyde Park and Pleasant Valley nearby towns are participating with Clinton to help bolster the success of their events. So this local mobilization network is taking those kind of learnings and best practices and going through town by town and strengthening the local network. I think it's through a grassroots paradigm that we will continue to have success in Dutchess County. It's the only way that we can be evergreen because hot topics are gonna come and go. But if we always have a base of activism, we should be able to weather the ebbs and flows. And also, um, we're trying to be more united. So we have a lot of strong, you know, Dutchess County, as I said earlier, we're isolated. We don't have a Kingston. We don't have that. We don't even have an office where um, our congressman shows up. So we have to create an energy in Dutchess County that's more united in order for us to make a difference. And Dutchess County actually has some incredible activists in it. So even though we're isolated, we can produce tremendous work. And this local mobilization network is going to help all the different organizations in 
giving them an opportunity to move forward without having to reinvent the wheel themselves every time. Because as we all know, activists, we, we all have lives, we all have jobs, we all have, you know, we're trying to balance so many different things. So if we can find efficiencies, we want to share them across the county. So that's a one action that um, Indivisible the Fight is on is facilitating. We are also, in 2017, we produced five PSAs on getting out the vote. And I don't know if how many people in the audience had an opportunity to watch them, but we're very proud of them. And we attached a website to them so that every candidate in every town their information was out there. It was a resource so that no matter where you lived across the county, you could go to one website and find out who the Democrats were that were going to be on the ballot in 2017, which is something that kind of like, you know, that, that service, that type of website just wasn't available beforehand. And we saw that need and we thought we can make that, we can organize that for the county so that we can produce a piece of content like a PSA that can be used across the county regardless of where someone lives and the individual who's viewing it can still get the information that they need because there were hundreds of candidates on the Democratic line across the county and so we needed to find a way to you know, share that information. Right now what we've got is a research team of about 14 people pulling in as much information as possible on our congressman, on his votes, on Reclaim New York, on issues that we think will be important for um, the constituents in, in Dutchess County to know and, and through District 19. And we're going to develop a video or videos along that. So that's one of our projects is to find the, it's going to be activists producing videos for the community. Um, but we want it done very well, so we're trying to pull in professionals who are in the field of video production to help us, who are also activists. So if you work in video production and you want to get involved, give us a call. Give us a call. You, we have a YouTube channel already. You can check out our, our PSAs to see um, what we've done in the past. Also in 2018, we have a couple socials already that we're working on. Where can people find out more about ITFIO? And how can they get involved? We have a website, indivisiblethefightison.com, which has our contact information as well as the contact information of a lot of different organizations in the area. It also shows our videos and we blog every day. So that is one place to start because then you will find out our social media URLs. We have two Facebook pages. One is strictly for articles to help inform, and one is a group page to share events. We have a YouTube channel. We're, of course, tweeting and, and all the other avenues for social media. We also put out an e-blast. So if you go to the website, you can sign up for the e-blast. Or you can also sign up for the e-blast through our, our Facebook page. And then on a, on a weekly or, or every two weeks, depending on the action that's taking the time of the year, we send out information about what is happening in Dutchess County. We're very Dutchess County-centric. Um, so that's uh, most of the information we share for action is in Dutchess County. I mean, if the Women's March, things like that. Of course, District 19 is important to us, and as is the city and... DC, but mostly we share 
events in Dutchess County. We actually receive those e-blasts and it's, they're usually on Monday. It's a great way to start the week because not only are they informative, they are very uh, well designed. So they have great graphics and there's always an anecdote or something uplifting in them. So it's a great way to start the week. And I encourage our listeners to sign up for the e-blast. And I know that I'm sure it takes a lot of time to put together because it's very thorough. It, it actually does, which is why during a lull between the election and up until now, I've sort of pulled back a little bit and we're putting them out every other week. Once things get hot again, we probably will go to once a week. But, you know, we're all volunteers. All of us are activists and we're all volunteers. So it is a commitment, but I think it's an important commitment to make because that is part of what Indivisible the Fight is on is about, is trying to share the information that's out there to encourage people to be engaged and to make it as easy as possible for everyone to do what we're going to need to do in order to resist. I encourage people to reach out and make friends with activists. Receiving an e-blast is great and making your own personal phone calls is great, but ultimately we're trying to build a community. We're trying to activate a community that can come together for things like canvassing and get out the votes and voter registrations and events. And that doesn't happen if you don't know that the neighbor two houses down is also a hardcore Democrat or progressive or independent. We encourage people to make this a part of their lives, not just through social media or online. Or a registered Republican who also wants to resist Trump. <laughs> well, We're inclusive. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for being here. Uh, it's been great to have you. And uh, we'll, we encourage our listeners to get involved with ITFIO and we're looking forward to a very busy year coming up. Yes. Yes. And we look forward to working with you too. But that's what you'll find. You've been listening to Spotlight 19. Thanks for tuning in. We'll be back next week. Starting with the second round of interviews with all the Democratic candidates running for John Fazzo's congressional seat. We sit tight and we'll be back. And keep the faith.